Well, so tonight we're in Acts chapter 10 and uh, how, how bacon became um, a breakfast meat. Uh, yeah, hallelujah. But uh, it's, we're going to take a little turn tonight uh, with a text. Uh, a lot of you, when we went through uh, John 15 Sunday morning, I was talking about uh, Jesus said to glorify the Father that you would bear much fruit. That's what glorifies the Father, bear much fruit. And we talked about fruit is for others. And, and the idea that um, this is an opportunity to minister to the world. It's, it's not fruit we protect or put behind a gate, but we plant ourselves. And I made a comment in the course of it, and I said, this is, this is Rob McCoy speaking. Um, this is my opinion, my opinion in a dollar, I don't know, 50 maybe, will get you a cup of coffee. Uh, maybe, maybe three bucks, I'm not sure, inflation. And, um, you know, a, a couple of the elders uh, that I inquired with um, kind of thought, well, I, I'm not sure I agree with you. And I love that about our, our elder board. It's not a group of yes men. It's, and we had an elder meeting, there's 15 of us, and I didn't inquire of all of them. But, uh, and I didn't get any letters as a result of, uh, I had made a comment about should Christians boycott and how I, I just didn't think that it's, it's healthy as my own opinion, again. Uh, tonight, it's becoming more than just an opinion. We're going to take a look at Scripture. And it uh, ties in with Acts chapter 10. So, we will begin in Acts chapter 10, verse 1. Oh, and by the way, let me set this up. Um, this is now going to be the conversion of the Gentile world. The gospel is going to come to the Gentiles. And you say, well, it already did when you know Jesus shared with the Samaritan woman and and uh, you had the Ethiopian eunuch. Well, both of those were proselytes. They were, you know, Samaritans were half Jewish. The Ethiopian eunuch uh, had come during the high holy days. Today's Yom Kippur. Uh, he had come to, to Jerusalem to worship. He was on his way back to Ethiopia. A lot of folks say that Christianity, as we studied last week, Christianity came to Africa through the Western world. Well, that's not true. I mean, you have the Ethiopian eunuch who converts to Christ, is baptized on the spot, and Christianity was in Africa long before Western Europeans arrived. And uh, we, you know, our, my ancestors would like to take credit for everything. You know, and, that's, and the reason why God invented scotch was to stop the scotch from ruling the world. So, <laughs> uh, not funny. But you know, it's a wee bit true. Yeah, that's right. Okay, where were we? All right, so Acts chapter 10, uh, we're going to see the gospel coming into the Gentile world. Now, for those of you uh, who don't have a Bible, uh, raise your hand. These fine fellows who are holding these stacks of books will get you one. And if you've opened Acts 10, good for you. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. This is kind of an odd time to do it because then everyone realizes you didn't bring your Bible. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to make spectacle of you, but you do need your Bible. Um. And, and the concept between Gentile and Jew, Gentile is anyone who's not a Jewish believer, isn't under the Mosaic law, a Levitical law. And, um, and so it's the pagan world other than Jewish. And so it comes into the Gentile world, and here we see uh, that happening. This is happening in Caesarea by the sea. Caesarea was uh, larger than Alexandria, Egypt. Uh, fascinating place when we go to Israel in June. Uh, we're taking a trip together, and I'd encourage you to sign up. Caesarea is a fascinating place. We're actually going to go to the house uh, where bacon became legit. I took a picture there. It was for me. It's a just a wonderful place. Um, and and yet Caesarea um, was established um, as a port city, even though it wasn't a natural port. Uh, they did. Uh, cement pumped it into the ground uh, to create a, um, a sea barrier and uh, became a resplendent city. The population at any time was fifty to 70,000 Romans who resided there. It's a fabulous city. They had cisterns to pump in water because in the Mediterranean, water scarce, and they figured out ways to collect it in the rainy, se- rainy season. And uh, The Hippodrome held, I think, 30,000 people where they would do all kinds of events. And a fascinating city uh, because of earthquakes and the like. The city is in disrepair, and it's now archaeological ruins. There's still quite a bit of it remaining. You can see the Hippodrome, but it's right near the ocean. The breakwater's broken, so most of the city's underwater. Um, But this is where this event is occurring, and it's a Roman bastion. It's got a a Jewish population, but minimal at best. It is inundated. Uh, If you read Ralph Edersheim's A Life and Times of Jesus, you'll know that at this time, what's occurring here in Acts chapter 10, the Roman Empire is in rapid decline. Uh, It's lost all of its moral foundation for what it had. 
marriage had disintegrated. There was no conscience to speak of. I don't know if you guys have seen um, in the news lately, especially with the Planned Parenthood videos, uh, there's been a response um, in the pro-choice community where they call it, I think it's called hashtag celebrate my abortion. Uh, uh, Hashtag shout your abortion. And they're celebrating their abortion. and, And it's this idea that, you know, almost a, a seared conscience in our community that that you would see videos depicting the idea of selling body parts and 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 yet people would shout the fact that they they believe it to be moral and so we're 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 at an interesting crossroads in our culture and our nation today and especially around the world uh we're watching um as you know it, it, it just the brutality on humanity and what's occurring and and yet, it's almost as though there's a seared conscience in America. Most folks have not seen the videos. Most people know of them but don't want, choose not to look at them. It's almost like, don't bother me. I don't, I don't want to have my heart moved. It's, and so here we are as a church. You know, How do we respond to these things? So basically, Peter is going into the heart of the Gentile world. In the Roman culture that has disintegrated uh, marriages, as the Roman Empire understood it, was finished. Um, they were starting at this point where Nero would soon come to power. Uh, a few hundred years had passed, and, and the Roman Empire was disintegrating. Um, you, would have, you would have the fall of the Roman Empire, and then Christianity obviously would flourish, and you'd have Constantinople, Constantine would take over, and then you'd have the Holy Roman Empire, and uh, wherever um, Rome existed, the, the, the Catholic Church would then take up position there, and and there was a conversion um, in the Roman Empire to Christianity and Constantine. And so this is, this is the dying stage of the Republic. Um, and, and, and it had gone from a Republic to a democracy and then to uh, basically um, an, an empire with, with a, a, a ruling dictator. And the, the Caesars would then take over and they were godlike. And um, as long as the people were entertained and their bellies were fed... The, the powers to be would do whatever they wanted. Then you'd have gladiator wars because there wasn't enough to entertain people anymore. When you, you remove high culture and you remove the pursuit of things of intelligence, people just debase themselves and reduce their least common denominator. So entertainment becomes more and more violent. And it's, you know, it, 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 it's nothing that we can relate to in our culture. I mean, it doesn't... I thought I'd throw that out just to see if you're awake. Have you ever watched an MMA fight? I just, I, I, I cringe. I, I struggle over that. A lot of people are, well, pastor, I mean, there's a lot of Christians there. There were a lot of Christians in gladiator fights, too. They were there. Uh, they participated. There was, there was work being done there, but it's, it just doesn't elevate culture. It's the least common denominator. It's what the most brutal thing imaginable because nothing entertains us anymore. And so this is, this is where Peter is. And he comes down to Caesarea, and we'll pick up at verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment. So we know him to be an Italian. Uh, the Italian Regiment was uh, the most faithful to the emperor. Um, they weren't the first into battle, but they were the last to leave. They would hold their ground no matter what the odds were. They were renowned. They were disciplined. They were, and he was, he was a centurion of this regiment, and he was a devout man. So we find a man that practices devotion to a monotheistic god, He's, he's devout, and you'll see what this means. He's a devout man, one who feared God with all of his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. Uh, this, this was a man that, as a pagan, would put most believers to shame. His, he had a, a he, almost like an agnostic, um, agnosis, without knowledge. He believed in God, but didn't know who he was. And, and what he knew, he practiced, and he was faithful to practice that. We have the entire... Uh, spectrum of the gospel. We have the Old Testament, New Testament. We have Christ overlapping in all of it. We see redemption. We have, uh, you know, we're under grace and we've been delivered from the law and, and Christ has fulfilled the law. And we have all that, but yet we're not as devoted uh, out of adoration as he was out of obligation. And so he's a devout man, one who fears God. He gives alms. Alms is even greater than a tithe. And he was generous. The, the word means uh, it, giving exceedingly. Um, you know, the, the average gift of a, of a faithful attender of, of a church in America is less than 3%. This dictates that this man was probably in the 40 or 50% range. 
And uh, so very dedicated, putting most Christians to shame or most believers. And he prayed to God always. Uh, and I've, I've shared this often. The quickest way to preach a church down to a manageable size is call for a prayer meeting. 15 years, calling people to prayer. 15 years. And, and the Sunday night prayer service, I mean, they're faithful. It's powerful. It's amazing what God has accomplished. But people just can't wrap their mind around prayer. Uh, and they don't understand the power of it and, and what God has called us to. This man was a faithful man who interceded and prayed and, and uh, prayed to a God he didn't fully know. And we don't even pray to a God that we do know. And so this is, this is that picture. And we're also going to see in this picture a devout man giving alms, uh, faithful, and his family, raises his family to be devout. What's fascinating is he's going to have more faith than Peter's going to have because Peter's going to use these uh, uh, two words, no Lord, or not so Lord is actually how it's translated, not so Lord. Now, can you say no, Lord, in the same sentence? Hello? No. Just lightly hit him. I'm kidding. Yeah, lovingly tap him. If you say no, he's not Lord. Are you tracking me? The only thing you can say to God is yes. You don't say no, Lord, or not so, Lord. You can say not so, friend. Not so, brother. Not so, boss. But don't say not so, Lord. Not good. Um, okay, so verse three, about the ninth hour of the day, and by the way, the ninth hour is a, a prayer hour for, for devout Jews. So in the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. Um, and so, so this man in his devotion, following the, the prayer times of devout Jews as a pagan praying uh, or as a Gentile praying, uh, the angel appears to him. Fascinating. No, I don't know of many in the room that have had an angel appear to them and state their name. Maybe you have. We can talk later. Uh, but this is, this is pretty spectacular. And, uh, and when he had observed him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? Not, not so, Lord. What is it, Lord? What do you want me to do, Lord, basically is the interpretation. He said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up as a memorial before God. And by the way, when you see the priest offering meat on the altar and the smoke would rise, it was a, an incense or a sweet offering uh, to the Lord, an aroma. And that's a depiction today of prayers. When you pray, it's almost an aroma to God because as you're praying according to his will, as you're seeking his will, as corporately we're joining together in prayer, it is a fragrant offering to the Lord. If we saw prayer for what it was and what it means to God, it is a total blessing to him. And here it, it even depicts it. It's a memorial before God. His heart is remembered before God because of his willingness to, to seek God. And the Lord says, seek me with all your heart and you'll find me. And he is, he's pouring himself out. And he said, now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. Now Joppa, near Caesarea, is a seaport village. Uh, it's a Gentile laden village. And Peter just being down there is odd. He's a devout Jew. Uh, and and he is he's he's in Joppa. Send for a uh, for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He's lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea, and he will tell you what you must do. So first of all, Peter is lodging with a tanner. I just want to say, as a devout Jew, around dead animal carcasses, not good. That's my that's my grandson listening to me preach. Oliver, settle down. There we go. Uh, so he's, he's living with Simon the Tanner, uh, lodging with him, and he's, he's in a home that's unclean, which makes him... There you go. Let me just show you how unclean he is, and in contrast to, to uh, Cornelius's band that comes to meet him. Uh, he's lodging with Simon a Tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who had waited on him continually. So when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on a housetop. And this is, this is so cool. Peter went up on a housetop to pray about the sixth hour. So they pray every three hours. He's up there on the sixth hour praying. And then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, uh, he fell into a trance. I do that often, uh, just waiting for the food, smelling it cook. Uh, it's, you know, it's like a turkey dinner. It's just tryptophan in the air, and uh, you're just nodding in and out of consciousness, just waiting. Have you ever had, every Sunday, my dad used to make a roast. It was just, it was awesome, and I liked it a lot. And the smell coming home, there's just warmth about it. And uh, you lay down, and when you awaken, there's a big slab of meat waiting for you. It was, this is, this is, and he's 
he's, he's happy. And he's in a trance, which most meat does that and food does that. And saw heaven open and an object like a great sheet bound on the four corners. And the translation for sheet is a sails. And they're by a seaport city. So it's a, he's probably watching the sails and the breeze is blowing. And he's up on the rooftop where the breeze is good. And that's where you want to take a nap in the heat. And he's probably covered by an old sail that has been repaired. And they've used it as a shade or an awning that they got at Costco. And he's underneath this thing. And just the wind is lightly blowing and he's underneath it and he's smelling the food being prepared and he's just kind of in and out of a sleep and all of a sudden it all ties in. Have you ever had that where everything that you've done in the day ties into the dream and maybe just me? Uh, and so the sheet uh, bound on four corners so it's secured so it doesn't blow away, probably just what he was looking at while he was napping, descending to him and it let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, birds of the air, and a voice came to him and says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Now, any cloven-hoofed uh, animal, cud chew, or you, you can go through the whole list of the Levitical laws of what is not acceptable to eat. And all these were listed or portrayed in this, these animals in this sheet coming down. And, and he's, uh, he's looking at it. And God says to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. By the way, how many times did, did Jesus say to Peter, do you love me? How many times did Peter deny Jesus? And Peter needs things in threes. Most men do. Okay, gosh, you're a tough crowd tonight. Uh, and Peter said, and here, here is the contrast between him and Cornelius. People, Peter said, not so, Lord. Now, that, that can't go together. Not so, Lord. You, you, you contrast it with, with Cornelius, what do you want me to do, Lord? And Peter is not so, Lord. For I have never eaten anything common or unclean. He's going back to the kosher, dietary, Levitical laws. He's saying, I, I can't eat a cloven-hoofed animal. I can't eat camel. I can't eat a pig. I can't, these are all bad. This is, you, this is uh, there's, a, there's a difference between a Jew and a Gentile. These folks eat everything. Uh, they're they're eat, even eating the cockroaches of the sea, the shrimp and the, the, you know, the lobster out there and the scallops and, and you know, high cholesterol levels and, and uh, I can't do this. I just, I don't eat that. And a voice spoke to him again a second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven. So first of all, there's, there's literal and there's figurative. Literal and figurative. Even the literal has truth, as the figurative does as well. So in this case, he's using unclean animals. Now, by the way, people say, well, the Levitical laws, the dietary laws were were to protect the health of the Jews. It may have been so, but nowhere in there does it mean it makes men holy because they observe dietary laws. Some people say you have to observe, you know, this is the maker's diet and these are things. That's may some, be some validity to it. I, I've seen people live into their hundreds who eat bacon um, and smoke cigarettes. Not good, not great. Um, I remember reading a story about a man who drank Tab Coke and Twinkies. Uh, the human body can process amazing amounts of weird things and turn them into nutrients. I don't know how, that just does. And some of you who are really strict in your dietary observation, you're, you're looking at me saying, you're, you're killing me, Smalls. I, I understand that you're struggling with it. But work with me here, because the, the scripture is depicting animals that Jews considered unclean and unacceptable. And Jesus is saying, clearly, for I have, uh, he says, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. End of story. And this was done three times to emphasize it. That's why Jesus often is a holy, holy, holy. Uh, amen, amen, amen. Truly, I see, you know, uh, true, truly, 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 I say to you. He would repeat these things for emphasis. This was a Jewish mindset. When it was said in threes, listen, listen, listen. Did that wake you up? Good. That's the idea of in threes. And, and Peter wondered within himself, verse 17, what this vision which he had seen meant. Behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. You know why these men stood before the gate? They didn't want to go into an unclean home. They were more observant than Peter was. Peter's in the, Simon the Tanner's house, totally hypocritical and not willing to eat the specific foods while these men who are agnostic, observant, I'm not really sure how to dis define them, but certainly Gentiles are outside the gate unwilling to enter. 
And they summoned for Peter from outside or before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. And they, you know, why would a Jew be there? And while Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. And, and Peter's contemplating, I said, am I supposed to eat the food? What does this all mean? And he comes down, and, and all of a sudden, everything starts clicking for Peter. Verse 21, then Peter went down to the men who had sent to him from Cornelius and said, yes, I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nations of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to this house, uh, to his house, and to hear words from you. And then he invited them in and and lodged them. On the next day, Peter went away with them, and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And we're going to go through how Cornelius comes to Christ, and and Peter meets Cornelius and leads him to the Lord. And if we have time, we'll go through it. But I want to stop for a minute in the first 23 verses to take a look at something significant. It's obviously going to translate into Gentiles coming to Christ. Peter will declare, uh, and the Holy Spirit will fall upon them, Peter's going to teach to the entirety of, of Cornelius' household. They're all going to believe. And, um, and uh, he says in verse 43, To him all the prophets witness that through Jesus' name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. You'll be forgiven. While Peter was still speaking these words, verse 44, The Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word, and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. As many as came to Peter uh, came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. I find this fascinating because many uh, Reformed theologians look at this idea that uh, Cornelius' house was in a covenant, and I, and I think, okay, so he was already a believer, but he has a greater... And, and I like it because if, if he's a covenant believer from a Reformed position, then we're seeing here a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, so either way, it's fun for a Reformed person to look at Neither here nor there. doesn't make any sense to you. I just had to throw that out. I wanted to take a minute to stop and consider uh, this, this vision of Peter's. Um, first of all, Peter's in a Gentile home. Peter has a vision of a sheet with forbidden animals. God is saying, rise, kill, and eat. And you're thinking to yourself, what is this? And some scholars would say, well, it is figurative in depicting that Peter's now being sent to the Gentiles, the, the unclean. And God is saying, I made them in my image. They're not unclean. Because to the Jew, the fires of hell were stoked by the bodies of Gentiles. I mean, there was, there was huge division religiously between Gentiles and Jews. And in addition, Romans... It's one thing to have a Gentile, but a, a Roman Gentile. These were responsible, these folks were responsible for the oppression of the Jewish people. They were, they were despised and hated by the Jews. It's one thing to even go and minister to the Samaritans who were half Jewish. The Samaritan walked down the road, a Jew would get out of the way of even the shadow of a Samaritan. And vice versa, Samaritans had nothing to do with Jews. And they understood it. They, they both kind of had the, they were half Jew. They had their own kind of setup of a temple and they did what they did. But a Gentile, I mean, there's not even any vestige of, of Jewishness in them. Their, their diets are filthy. They're filthy as people. They're oppressive. They've taken over our nation. They've taken over our culture. They've infused their language, their coinage, um, their, their, their emperor that they worship instead of the one true God is on every piece of coin. The best we can do is just try to keep it out of the temple. But, but everyone has to trade in it. We have to, just to survive in our own country, we have to, to work with their monetary system. It was aggravating. They kill our people. If we try to rebel, they destroy us. Uh, and they would ultimately burn the temple. 70 AD, the, the, the fires would start. The temple would be lit on fire. Jesus said it, there wouldn't be a stone left unturned. What had occurred is the fire was so hot and, and scorching that it melted all the gold in the temple. It fell into the crevices of these massive stones. You go there to this day, they had torn the stones out to find any gold remaining and everything Jesus had prophesied had happened. And, and this is, this is the, the people that were responsible for their misery and Peter's being called to minister to this guy, a centurion. He actually goes to his home. 
He entertains the, the group that came to meet with him. And in addition to this, this vision that he had of unclean animals that God had said, what I have made clean, do not call unclean. And Peter is burdened by this and struggling with it. And now he's being called to go and minister to the Gentile world. And the one who would take up from Peter, which we know he is now, uh, as we, we have this, this hiatus, we know that the Apostle Paul, who we met earlier, the Apostle Paul for about 12 years is somewhere in the backside of the desert getting his BSD degree. He's not going to pick up until a couple of chapters from here, and he's going to resume the ministry to the Gentile world. But, but Peter, is he's the one who started it. He pushed the ball and it started rolling. And, and many had come to Christ. We saw that they added to their numbers daily, multiplied, greatly added, and the, and the church is exploding. But now it's going beyond the boundaries of Pharisees coming to Christ, Jews coming to Christ. Now it's going into the Gentile world. And Peter is the first to witness this and participate in it and being used of God to do it, watching the Holy Spirit fall upon Gentile believers, watching them just moved by God. And Peter is saying, seeing their hearts change, seeing their lives transformed. Watching a man who was longing for God, all of a sudden filled with the Lord, all of these things that he had practiced his whole life now have meaning and purpose and direction. He understands his, his purpose in life, his point in life. And he, he, it was explosive. Church history goes on to talk about Cornelius, how he was an exemplary uh, saint in the, in the early church. I won't take time to go through that. But I wanted to stop for a minute because this is a controversial verse. People struggle over it. I remember one time I preached out of this on a Sunday morning and we had a Messianic congregation come to our church. Uh, they wanted to do music and they wanted to have their pastor speak. I didn't know their pa- about their pastor and I already had a message planned. I said, well, that won't work, but we'd love to have your group come and sing. And they sang and they were messy and they sat over here and I talked about it and I said, this is where you know, God made it all clean and I'm watching them all going, mm, 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 and they're nodding their heads in like frustration. One woman who I knew very well, I said, and this is where bacon began. She goes, no, no, and they were, Kind of, they, they're not rude, but they were visibly not in agreement with my findings on this. And I'm, uh, today's Yom Kippur, and my, my dear, dear brother in faith, not in Christ, a uh, man who seeks God, and uh, he's real close to meeting his Messiah. Uh, I've been working with him, Rabbi Michael Barkley. Uh, he's one of the few rabbis in our community that's ordained reformed, conservative, and orthodox. Uh, fascinating man, highly educated. Uh, we, we, we've come to have a deep, abiding friendship. And I told him, I said, Jesus is your Messiah, he's here. And he says, brother, where's your faith? I said, what, what, are, you, what are you talking about, Rabbi Michael? And he said, I'm hoping when Jesus returns, I'll, I'll say, it was you, and you'll say, welcome back. I said, well, that's great. I'm excited for you, but what if you die before he returns? He says, you lack faith, he'll be here. I said, okay, I lack faith, but what if... You die without being covered and atoned for by his, his blood. And, and we went back and forth. And one of the things he, he commented to me, and I was so grateful, and he's, he understands atonement. He understands um, the Trinity. He understands the Passion Week. He can go through the Passion Week with a greater insight than most pastors in our community can. And, and I marvel at him because every year he goes back to a certain Indian tribe that has converted to Christianity. He's considered a member of that tribe and he goes through the entirety of the Passion Week. I thought you'd be impressed. And he said to me, I, I told him about the one incident on a Sunday morning with a Messianic congregation and they, they found my comment about Acts chapter 10. He says, you're absolutely right in Acts chapter 10. He said, if you're under a new covenant and you're covered by the spotless blood of the living God, then the law is done away with because it's been fulfilled. He said, I, I have an easier time embracing you than I do with those who declare themselves to be Messianic Jews. I, and I thought, well, that's from a rabbi. Done. I just thought I'd throw that out there. And, and, and yet, when we look at these things, people struggle over this aspect of dietary law. But I'm going to take a little further. This is pagan food. This is, this is food offered to idols. This is, this is food that heathens consume. 
I mean, I want you to think of, of the worst depiction possible of what you would never allow yourself to engage in, in this fallen, miserable world. Where will you not go and what will you not do in order to bring the gospel somewhere? Don't answer that out loud, just think. Would you go into the Castro district in San Francisco, into the homosexual community? Would you sit and eat with them? Would you spend the night, don't, don't, please don't talk out loud, just think to yourself. Would you spend the night in a homosexual home? Would you attend a homosexual wedding? Now, don't answer, I just an opportunity to minister the gospel, would you do this? Would you work in a company that supports gay rights? Would you allow your family to purchase products from a company that supports that? Or abortion, let's take abortion. Would you eat with somebody who believes abortion and, and, and celebrates or shouts their abortion? There's a man by the name of Dan Savage. If you saw these rainbow Doritos that came out, have you guys seen that? Rainbow Doritos supporting gay LGBT. And Dan Savage has a video um, where he is graphically detailing in the most X-rated terms possible what he's going to do to Mike Huckabee and what can happen to Mike Huckabee and, and, and ridiculing him on this YouTube in the LGBT and the gay community about... Mike Huckabee stand for traditional marriage. It's, it's vile. It's mean. He's calling for his death. This is the world we live in, becoming greater and, and more hostile to the Christian world. And what's our position in a representative form of government? Do we boycott? Do we not spend our money in these businesses? Is that the answer? Do we, do we demand our families not participate? Do we consider it ungodly if someone in the church would support or participate in a company or spending money in a company that we find to be vile? And how far do we take that? I love what one author writes. He says, how in the world could you possibly buy anything from any business if by giving them money you were supporting their sins? Are you supporting drunkenness if you buy gasoline from a gas station that sells beer? Of course not. If you were, you'd have to drill for your own oil because I don't know any gas station that doesn't sell beer. But if you drilled for your own oil, from where would you buy the oil drilling equipment or the refining equipment without supporting a company which supports something immoral? That's just a simple question asked by somebody who was struggling over this concept. They also wrote, do you see the corner we back ourselves into with this line of reasoning? It is simply not a biblical position to say Christians can have no association with worldly businesses. Since then, you would need to go out into the world. Now, that's someone's opinion, granted. And I want to know what Scripture has to say about it. So, let's see why Peter could be in Cornelius' home, why Peter can engage with Gentiles, not just Gentiles, but Roman Gentiles, who were responsible. And I want to tell you something about Cornelius. If he was a faithful centurion of the Italian regiment, he witnessed rape and pillage and destruction and brutal massacre of Jews. He's an ISIS member to a Christian, Arab Christian. Put that in perspective. And Peter's going to go to his home. What? The question was asked to me. I have a lesbian sister. Would you allow your lesbian sister and her life partner to sleep in the same room in your house? Would you stand or would you applaud at the wedding when they say, I do? These are all good questions, aren't they? They hit us at the heart, don't they? We're struggling. I got news, the room's divided. The older you are, the less willing you are, and the younger you are, you go, well, yes, I would. <laughs> and that's why the church is losing young folks, because we're, we're losing the cultural war. Well, well, it's not about the cultural war, it's about being, I get that. Trust me, there's nobody who struggles in the room more than me. 
So what's the answer? Scripture's a good place to go, yes? Let's go to Scripture. Please open up to 1 Corinthians. And I think tonight, oh, where should we start? Let's start in chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians. And we're going to take a look at a pretty screwed up church. The Apostle Paul is speaking to a church in Corinth. It's real messed up. We're going to drop down to verse 9. And Paul's going to address the church because you had a, a man sleeping with his father's wife in the church. You had people who were drunk at communion in the church. The church was screwed up. They had all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They, they had all kinds of amazing things happening, but the church was really immoral. So let's see what Paul says, verse 9. He says, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world. Could you stop there for a minute? Sexually immoral in the church, but not sexually immoral in the world. (laughs) Wow. I don't know about you, but that one hurts. Anyone? Bueller? Bueller? That's not my words. That's the Bible. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people, yet I certainly did not mean with sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. (laughs) What's he saying? Get your sweet bippy into the world. Are you tracking me? Go in there. I didn't say it. The Bible said it. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a viler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. What is he saying? Judge the church. We decry homosexual marriage because it isn't biblical and it isn't but i want to know where where the boycotting is for the divorce rate in the church and the adultery in the church i mean our sin looks a lot worse on other people but we profess christ they don't Let's go on. Verse 12. For what have I to do with judging those also who are outside? Do not judge those. Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. Take care of the church. They're doing what comes natural. Why are you shocked that a dog barks or a sinner sins? But we have a new nature. We have to look at each other and say, are we submitted to Christ? It's a lot easier not to have people look at us because we're fighting out there. And we're righteous because they're not. Doesn't work that way. Okay. Let's... um, Let's take a look at 1 Corinthians 10. Uh, No, I'm sorry. Go to Romans 14, please. I'm sorry, Romans 14. One author writes, people often view Paul's teachings on food as contrary to Jesus' teaching, particularly Jesus' statement that he's not coming to abolish the law. Yet Jesus himself pointed out that the ceremonial aspects of the law were only ceremonial. You can look that up in Matthew 15, verses 10 through 20. So what we're doing here is we're going to take a look at Romans 14. Look at verse 14, Apostle Paul writing. I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you're no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one who Christ died for. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. 
For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself and what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith for whatever is not from faith is sin. Now, a lot of folks are wondering, well, how does that apply? The idea is the scripture depicts the weaker brother as the one who operates his faith by legalism. I define myself by what I don't do, not by what I do. I don't do this, this, and this. Well, if I do that, am I offending you? Yes, you are. Well, then, for your sake, because you're the weaker brother, I won't do that. Anyone who has a tattoo is going to hell. I don't hold to that. Would I offend you if I had my tattoo exposed? Yes, you would. Then I'll wear a long sleeve shirt. By the way, I don't have any tattoos. You do that for the weaker brother. Scripture's depicting them as a weaker brother. Um, I want to read to you. You don't have to turn there because we have another passage I want to look at. But this is John 18.36. It says, um, Jesus answered Pilate. And he said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. He's standing before the powers of, of Rome. And he said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. We would unify. And our strength would prove our might and our right. Is heterosexual marriage right because the majority says it's right or is it right because God says it's right? If you're in the minority, is it still right? Then let's celebrate it. We think it's only right in our culture when we fight. 1 Corinthians 10. Let's turn there together. I need to find my other passage here. Oh, here it is. Uh, By the way, the passage we read in John 18, the Roman governor thought Jesus was weak when he refused to use imperial means of resistance. But Jesus' refusal to fight meant just the opposite of what Pilate assumed. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting. Where's Jesus' strength? How strong can you be as a lamb silent to the slaughter? Now, Augustine says there's, there's, a, there's justification for a just war. Our founding fathers labored through this. There's, there's deep theological significance in examining these things. We have to come up with policy and understanding. But look at 1 Corinthians 10. We're going to start at verse 23. Apostle Paul speaking to the same decrepit church. All things are lawful for me. What does that mean? First of all, what does the word all mean? All. Am I allowed to eat shrimp? Yes. Yes. Are you allowed to drink? The Bible says, do not be drunk of wine, but of the Holy Spirit. If you get drunk, are you going to hell? No. All things are permissible, not all things are profitable. Is it profitable for your testimony? See, young people always say, well, what's, what's the limit? How close can I get to the edge? Old people are like, I need to get back. I've been there. Right? 
How far is too far when I'm dating? And we'll be like, I built a lot of walls. That's the only way this marriage is staying put. I ain't going there. And the younger you are, the more passionate you are. You get to that edge. And yet there's permiss- there's, you're, all things are permissible, but you're going to get yourself in trouble. God, look, sin isn't forbidden. or Sin isn't evil because it's forbidden. It's forbidden because it's evil. God doesn't, he's not a cosmic killjoy out there to ruin everything. He knows what will destroy you. He says, just don't do this. And, and you don't do it to make you righteous. You, you are righteous. God's righteousness is imputed, put on your account. Just as if you'd never sinned, you're justified. But the idea is, we don't observe the law to be saved. We observe the law because we are saved. And it's good for us. Yes? And, and oftentimes we look at it and we say, well, how much liberty can I take? And the more liberty you exercise, the more bondage you experience. It's dangerous. It's like, it's like going down a river in a canoe and it says danger rapids, you know, 500 yards ahead. And you're like, well, this stream's just, it's only five feet deep and it's an easy current and I can handle this thing and I, I know how to do a UJ turn and... I can handle this. And you get a little further. Danger rapids 200 yards ahead and the water's getting a little rougher. But you know, I've been on rap, stage three rapids. I can handle this. I'll get the 100 yards ahead danger. And you go, oh, I better get off now. And it's so quick that you get over the edge, you're dead. You should have gotten off the river 500 yards back. Don't see how far you can get to the edge. You'll find yourself over the edge and you'll go, why did I do that? And all it does is grieve the Holy Spirit and grieve you. You know, sin, like a drug, it promises all kinds of stuff. Yeah, you know, you'll get it. You'll, you'll be in with all the other kids and you're going to be great and everyone's going to like you. And, and, and it, it's, you, drugs are the kind of thing you take and, and, it, and you, you think it'll pick you up, but it, it leaves you further back than where you were when you took them. And it steals something from you. You know, when, when, you're, when your purity is taken or you give it away, the idea is I give all of myself to all of you. And God creates a new virginity. We're new creatures, the old past, the, the new has come, and, and, and he cleanses us of all unrighteousness. If, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But you never get rid of the memories. You never get rid of the struggles. And the more you feed that, the more it reminds you, and it, it's trigger points. Endorphins kick in. There are certain things from, from past addictions and, and, and you just, it is your head will just turn. Your heart will start to move. Your, 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 your jaw starts to salivate. Your, your, your mind goes to a different, it, it's all trigger points that you fed and your flesh responds to. And God is saying, I could have kept you from all of that. I'll give you an example. Uh, I remember one time, and I've shared this before, but I remember one time I was talking about abstinence in, in a public school and, and I, I love this picture because it was so true. I was talking about, you know, when you abstain and, and, and you keep yourself pure. And by the way, they'll never invent a condom to protect your heart, right? And, and, and um, when, when you read the back of a condom box, it says, uh, protects you from many kinds of sexually transmitted diseases. Wouldn't it be nice if it said all? It doesn't, Okay. By this is an adult study, and if there's somebody who shouldn't be here, leave. So you, you have this picture, and, and the idea is it doesn't protect your heart. And we want to keep ourselves safe, both physically and emotionally and spiritually, for our future spouse. No comparisons, no issues, no struggles. It's, it's the two of you blessed by God. And sex is an expression of intimacy physical, emotional, and spiritual intimacy. It's a gift from God. One of the reasons why it becomes so violent in videos is because there's two people engaging in something where there's no intimacy and they're angry. And everyone becomes an object. So in this case, I I was sharing this. I talked about uh, a man, a friend of mine, who remained a virgin until marriage. His name was Jeff. And he met his wife, Heidi. And Heidi had committed herself to virginity and, and she was 13 or he was he was 13 she was 12 and they both married at age 26 yeah 
And their very first sexual experience was the very first time either of them kissed someone of the opposite sex romantically was at the altar when they said, I do. The very first sexual experience, he carried her over the altar in their honeymoon suite. I won't go into detail. I wasn't there. And I'm glad. And, and I, I said, they never worried about pregnancy. They never worried about sexually transmitted diseases. And it was never an issue. There was just a freedom and a, a joy. And, and the younger you are when you marry and the more pure you are, the greater the chance of survival of a marriage because there's nothing to compare to. It's just a joy before the Lord. And two people seeking the Lord, this is the intimacy. This is Christ, husband, wife. As you pursue the Lord, your intimacy becomes closer. God gives you that expression. And I'm sharing this about this guy, Jeff, and, 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 I, and I also shared in the, in the process, I said, for all you young guys, I said the, the four greatest drives of a male adolescent is, number one is for air. You can go about three minutes without air. Second one is for, for uh, water. You can go about three days without water. Fourth is food, about 40 days without food. And then the next greatest drive is a sex drive. Most men would give up f- food and water. Some guys would hold their breath. And, and, I, and I said, a, a, a male adolescent has a sexual thought every 15 to 18 seconds, seconds whether major or minor, just like, you know, I got to go to history. Oh, thinking about something. <laughs> and I shared this in the class, and this one kid in a public school raises his hand, and he said, he said, uh, hey, I got a question for you. And all the girls thought he was really cute, and he said, what's the question? He said, first of all, you know, don't you test drive a car before you buy it? And then his next question was, why would God make me this way? And say, wait, is he cruel or something? Because the male, I shared this too, the male's sex drive peaks at the age of 18 and then starts to gradually <laughs> go down where a woman's peak, peaks at around 28 to 33. And, and somewhere the two shall meet. And, and the guy said, so at the peak of my sexual drive, I'm supposed to wait. He goes, is God cruel or something? He said that and everyone started laughing. And when he said that, I, I could answer his first question. I go, yes, you do test drive a car before you buy it. But if I'm not mistaken, a car is, is an object and a woman is a human being. He goes, yeah, you're right. And all the girls are like, yeah. He said, but what about my second question? And it was a tough one. He said, is God cruel or something? And I'm like, I kind of think he is. <laughs> I mean, anyone, any man in here at 18 <laughs> differ with that belief? And he said, why would God make me like this and say, wait? And the Bible says, if any man lacks wisdom, he need but ask the Lord. And I'm praying. I'm saying, God, help me. I don't know how to answer this kid. And I did. I prayed that exact prayer. And God whispers to me. He says, ask him, or he says, tell him about, the Lord says, tell him about Jeff. I'm like, all right, Jeff. What do I know about Jeff? Because I just talked about Jeff. And I go, okay. I go, well, let me, let me answer that by telling you about Jeff. And I don't know why. And all of a sudden it clicks. I go, oh, I get it, Lord. I go, well, let me tell you about Jeff, the guy who waited until from age 13 to 26. He was captain of his football team, went to a public high school. He's a straight-A student. He's captain no pimple. His body was chiseled out of granite. All the girls loved him. You know, he'd, he'd win a football game on a Friday night. They'd go party, and all the girls would want to be around him, and he'd, he said, I'm saving myself, and everyone would laugh at him and all that, and he waits until 26. I said, I want to tell you about my friend Jeff. He was raised in a public school, so was Heidi. They, she was from Iowa. He was from California. They met, and I said, I said, I've been to their house. And, and I remember watching, he was a Raiders fan, I was a Charger fan. The score was tied, fourth quarter, less than a minute remaining on the clock. They're in the 10-yard line getting ready to score. Glued to the television, the two of us watching the football game. His wife comes through the door with groceries and the kids are all over the place hanging on him. He turns off the TV and helps her in with the groceries. I'm like, what are you, what, what are you doing? What are you doing? And then I remember another time his, his, his child comes in with a really dirty diaper, just filled, little tiny kid, just, and just massive. And I love to depict it because it's like all the plants are wilting and birds are falling out of the sky and everyone in the house is... And it's a crowded room and it's like Moses parting the Red Sea as this kid's just walking in, just everyone's fainting. And he comes up to his dad and, and if it was my child, even if it was Oliver... Come on, hey, go find your dad or go find your mother, you know. It was my kid, go find mom. But Jeff picks him up, goes in and changes his diaper. And, and I looked at this kid and I said, tell me about your dad. Because the, the Lord asked me to ask him about his dad. And he goes, he's a jerk. 
I said, was he a good husband to your mom? He said, he's a jerk. He divorced my mom. He's a bad dad. He's a bad husband. I said, wouldn't you like to have had a dad like Jeff? And don't you wish your mom had had a husband like Jeff? I said, you don't get to pick the parents you get in this world, but you can pick the kind of parent you're going to be. I said, the reason, you asked me the reason, I told him, and all of a sudden it came to me. I said, the reason why God from the age of 13 to 18, where your sexual drive starts and it peaks, and then on to 26, why God says, wait, is because a man can't do without air, can't do without water, and can't do without food. But contrary to popular belief, he can do without sex. God takes the fourth most intense drive of a human being and puts it on hold to teach that man how to be a servant. If any man desires to come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. And why are you denying yourself? To keep yourself free from harm or danger, both physically and emotionally for your future spouse. I said, you want to lead your home? Live a, a, a life honoring of your future spouse and your kids. Teach you how to serve them because you've learned how to deny yourself for the sake of another human being. Do you want to bring in all those memories and all those diseases? And he got it. And this is a kid who didn't know the Lord, he got it. And I got it that day. I'm like, that's so good. Why didn't you tell me that earlier? You know? And my, and my point is, when you look at this passage of Scripture, and the Apostle Paul is talking about all these things that, that mankind struggles with. Here you had a pagan kid. Here you've got Cornelius. Here you've got the world. They don't get it. And we as Christians who have this hope don't apply it. We want to use our liberty to get to the edge. And God is saying, I've given you the ability to be different. I've called you out to do an example for the world around you. So here with this freedom, 1 Corinthians 10, 23 through 33, all things are lawful for me, not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Does it build up the body of Christ? Does it build up your life? Does it draw you closer to the Lord? Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. That's the idea of abstinence. For the sake of someone else. God called us to serve. Eat what is ever sold in the meat market. Asking no questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. Let me give you an example. In Corinth, if you went down to the meat market and you went to buy meat, filet mignon was 15 bucks a pound. But if you went down to the pagan meat market where it had just been sacrificed in, in the pagan temple... You could buy it at a reduced rate at eight bucks a pound. I'm Scottish. I'd go there. Right? I want to save the seven bucks a pound. We come home, they'll be eating. Oh, this is delicious. I mean, it's marble. It's so delightful. Where'd you get it? I got it at the pig. <gasps> I can't eat this. Oh, I, can't, I, I need a feather. <laughs> you know, I, I, can't, I can't do this. It is contrary to what I believe. I, I boycott that. I don't eat that food. Do you know what they do in that temple? That's Aphrodite. A thousand temple prostitutes come down from the mountain and ply their trade. I know, but the meat's seven bucks a pound. (laughs) You get it? And Paul's saying, eat whatever's sold in the meat market. Ask no questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all the fullness. Seven bucks, buy it. If any of those who do not believe invite you to dinner and you desire to go, eat whatever is set before you. Ask no questions for conscience sake. I don't care where it's from. It's delicious. Do you know what they do to that? No, but it's delicious, whatever they do. (laughs) If anyone says to you, this was offered to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who told you, for their conscience sake. If it bugs them, I don't need to eat it. If you got a boycott a company, okay, I'm, I'm happy for you. I don't have to. I have a different way of reaching them instead of trying to assert my authority. I don't, I don't fault you for that. But don't tell me I'm not a Christian because I won't. The body of Christ gets divided over such things. People, you say, you went to Disneyland? You, you drink at Starbucks? You go to Target? Where am I supposed to shop? There's nothing left. They're everywhere. Can you imagine? A fallen, wretched world is filled with sinners. 
And I got news for you. If you had a, do you go to Costco? Yes, I do. I shop at Walmart. Have you ever seen where all their stuff is made? China. Do you know what their abortion rate is? It's ridiculous. Give me a break. This was offered to idols. Do not eat for the sake of the one who told you for conscience sake. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness therein. Conscience, I say, not your own, but that of the other. It's not my deal. It's yours, and I'll give it to you. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? I rise and fall before one master. That's the Lord. But if I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken of for the food over which I give thanks? I got it for seven bucks. This is so cool. Thank you, Lord. I'm grateful. And it's nicely marbled. And it's aged. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. For why? I'm sorry, why? I'm sorry, why? That they what? You have the liberty to go into hell on this earth and access every corridor wherever a sinner resides. And you you don't have to be burdened by what you're surrounded with. And you can minister. Even learn how to dialogue and have a pleasant conversation. And, And don't be shocked at what they do. Why are you shocked that a dog is barking? Not a good illustration, but why are you shocked that, you know, a Dalmatian has spots? They're doing what they do. We think that we define ourselves by our strength, by what we don't do, and that's them and this is us. No, 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 no. You get out of this little bubble and get in there. Where was I? Okay. Romans 14, please. We're almost finished. I have three minutes. I have two verses, two passages, and we're finished. Romans 14, starting at verse 14, the Apostle Paul, he says, I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you're no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. What is the kingdom of God? It's not eating or drinking or what you do eat or don't eat. But it's righteousness personal righteousness, not defined by what you don't do, but by what you do. And peace, blessed are the peacemakers. And joy, Jesus first, others second, yourself last. We like to make it yaj instead of joy. Yourself first. I can't love others until I first love myself. I think we should change joy to yaj. Acronym. For verse 18, for he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by who? That means worldly men. They look at you and they go, I, I want to be just like you. I love the way you bring peace into this room. And the fruit of your life, what are the fruits of the Spirit? We studied that John 15 last week, love, joy, peace, right? People look at the fruit that's hanging as you're planted strapped to the vine with fertilizer at your feet in the thick of the world and your fruit is not there for the church. It's for others. It's for the world. And they may pull the fruit off and make wine out of it and get drunk. Give them some more. And then finally, Mark 7, we'll close with this. Mark 7. I'm going to do the New Living Translation. I like it in this case. 
So turn to Mark 7. And, I, and look at me after you get there, please. Because I'll let you contrast it with the New King James that you hold. But just listen to the New Living Translation first. Look at me, please. Please look at me. Please look at me. Ready? Don't you understand either? Jesus asked. Can't you see that the food you put into your body cannot defile you? Food doesn't go into your heart, but only passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. By saying this, he declared that every kind of food is acceptable in God's eyes. And then he added, it is what comes from inside that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within. They're what defile you. And that's 18 to 23 if you want to read the King James Version. I like the New Living because though I study the King James, I, I like the idea that you can see the picture. It's almost like someone's just talking to you. Although it's a terrible translation, don't study it. What God wants from us is to be in the world. He wants us to go to Joppa. He wants us to house with Cornelius. The food is edible. And the Gentiles are accessible. And if he's a Roman centurion of the Italian regiment who's responsible for the death of your people and he wants you to come to his house, you go. And then you invite his contingent to come in and stay in your home. And I'll leave it at that and you figure out the rest. Any questions? We're out of time. I'm sorry. 